0: Lord, I I pray that the words I'm about to speak and the thoughts that we think as uh, together, we meditate on your word for us. Lord, I pray that that would all be truly acceptable in your sight. Oh God, who is indeed an incredibly generous God with us. Amen. So here's what I believe. I believe that the hardest part of a marathon is the very beginning, the start. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, how in the world does he know anything about marathons, right? And, and you're right. I've never run a marathon in my life. Um, I don't run marathons. In fact, to be honest, I don't run at all, ever, anywhere, you know. But no, I was talking uh, this past week with somebody, uh, one of our uh, members at our Kimberly Way campus, who does run marathons a lot. He's run the Boston Marathon, I think, five times now, or something like that. He he loves to run marathons, and that's what he told me. He said, he said, Mark, I believe that the hardest part of the marathon is the start. And I said, well, that seems weird to me because I've always heard that there's like this wall you hit at like mile eighteen or twenty or something, and that's the hardest part. He's like, no, no. He said, here's why I believe the hardest part of the marathon is the start. He says because if If you let your mind go there, if you're standing there with this throng of people getting ready and you let your mind go down the, oh my gosh, I got 26.2 miles to run. He said, it just seems overwhelming, and, and, and your heart starts beating faster, and you start to break out in a sweat, and, and you start to think, I don't know if I can do it. And, and he said, really, I, I believe if you're not careful there at the start, if you try to consider the whole journey you're about to go on, all 26.2 miles of it, he said, that, that's just dangerous. He said, so here's what I do. He said, I try to just focus on the first mile. So when I'm standing there, when I'm getting ready to run, my whole thought, my whole focus is... How am I going to get to the first mile? What pace do I want to run? Um, How do I want to approach that? How am I going to get to the first mile? And and then he said, when I get to the first mile, I'm really disciplined. I just keep my focus on getting to the next mile, getting to mile two. He said, I just tried to take it one mile at a time. And he said, and you're right. He said, there is this point in the race where a mile even seems like too much. He said, uh, at that point, he said, then I'm just kind of thinking, all right, I just got to put the next foot in front of the other, right? I just got to keep putting a, front, a foot in front of the other and just taking that next step. And if I just focus on that, then everything's going to be okay. Now, the reason I bring that up today is because we just heard a reading from Ephesians chapter four, and I'm convinced, just like a runner at the beginning of the starting line of a marathon, if we focus on the wrong thing in this reading, if we think about it a little too much, it's, uh, what, what did you say this morning, Dave, when we were praying before? Fear and joy, right? <laughs> Fear and joy. And here's what I'm talking about. Look at what it says. It says, it says we are gonna speak the truth in love. By we. It's talking about God's people. And, and then it says this is growing in every way, more and more like Christ. See, the goal God's word teaches very clearly to you and me is that what God wants to do in your life and mine is not just get you to heaven someday. I mean, that's kind of what we think about Christianity is like, right? It's just, it's just all about getting to heaven someday. That's not what Christianity is about. Literally, what this is saying is our goal is to be like Jesus, and, and God's goal for my life is that someday, that someone would look at me and get me and Jesus mixed up. Did you know, by the way, that, uh, that one of Jesus' disciples, his name's Thomas, and, and they called him Didymus, which means the twin, and the reason we think they called him the twin is because he looked like Jesus so much that people would get the two of them mixed up. That's what God wants for all of us. His goal for my life is that I would be like Jesus. And, and just like a runner at the beginning of the marathon, if I focus on the end game, if I focus on the goal that God has for my life is me being just like Jesus, that's frightening. And, and there's, this, there's this part of me that goes, there's no way, there's no chance I could ever be like Jesus. But in fact, that's God's goal. That I would measure up bit by bit, day after day, more and more, to be more like Jesus. A lot of times in the church, we use this fancy word. We say, our church is all about discipleship. We want to help you be a good disciple. Well, literally, all that means in modern day English is, be more like Jesus. That's what a disciple literally means. It's one who wants to be like their rabbi, that person that they're following. That's God's goal for our lives. And, uh, and sometimes I think I love these pictures, by the way. Um, it's amazing what you can find on, on the internet, right? I, I love that second picture. Sometimes we think that, that that process of being more like Jesus is something we have to do to ourselves, right? But that's not really it. And that's why that second reading uh, that we heard is so important as well, because look at what it says. Uh, it, it talks about this process in our lives, and it says you must continue to follow him. And then I love this. It says, here's what that process is like to be more like Jesus. We let our roots grow down into him and let our lives be built on him. So, so notice what it's saying. is it, It's saying, first of all, um, a tree doesn't get up one day and say, okay, today I'm going to grow my roots, right? It just kind of happens, and as those roots grow, it becomes stronger and taller and, and better. And, uh, and, and it's something that God does to us. It's something that God does in us. And, and, and that's why it's so important for us, just like that marathon runner, to not try to look at the whole end game or the whole journey. It's important for us to just take it one step at a time as we try to grow to be like our God. And by the way, you've heard it already a couple of times in the service today. That's what we're all about as a church. At all of our sites, we have four different locations around the Chicago area, and at each one of those sites, our mission is the same. It's, it's we want to help you, and we want you to help me and us. We want to help one another be more like Jesus, one step at a time. Now, in this area of generosity, I want to just again review with you a little bit today what that looks like. What does it look like to be more like Jesus, See, the fact is we have an incredibly generous God, and, uh, and, and one of the ways that God is incredibly generous to us is with his time, with his service of us. He always has time for us. He is always there for us. Do you ever think about that, that it doesn't matter when it is that you decide to talk to him, he's always there. You can pray to him at any moment of any day, at two in the morning, at three in the afternoon, um, you know, when, Whenever. You could, just, you could just talk to him, and he's going to be there for you. Do you remember that movie, Bruce Almighty, you know, where Jim Carrey gets to sit in for God for a little while? And, uh, and, and one of the first things he finds he has to deal with, is he's got to deal with all these prayers, right? And, uh, and it's kind of overwhelming. So he figures out a way to make the prayers come in in his email, and then he goes to bed. And he gets up the next morning, and the, like two million prayer requests have built up in his inbox, remember? And now he's like, well, crud, what am I going to do with that? So he finally selects all and hits Yes. Just answers all the prayers with yes. Um, It's a total disaster, by the way, because it's like like a million people prayed to win the lottery. So they all do, but they all get like 52 bucks because they're splitting the whole jackpot, you know, that kind of thing, right? But unlike Jim Carrey in that movie, God doesn't just let our prayer requests build up and, and get to him when he has time, right? He always has time. He's always there for us. It doesn't matter. He's always ready to serve us, to to listen to us, to be there for us. I love this verse from 2 Corinthians. It says this, that God comforts us in all our troubles. And here's why I think that word all is so important. I just heard this again the other day. Somebody was talking to me, and they said, I said, well, why don't you pray about that? And it was something small and kind of insignificant, but it was bothering him. I said, well, why don't you pray about that? And she's like, oh, I couldn't bother God about that. That's just not that important. Is that true? Is that true that that, that that God only wants to hear about the big troubles in your life? You know, the big struggles you're going through when, when something really bad happens, that's when God is going to be there for you to, to comfort you and to strengthen you? I, I don't think so. Scripture says something different. It says he comforts us in all of our troubles. Whether that's you know, the big problem in your life, that you lose your job, or, or someone you care about is really sick, or whether it's, you know, you can't get the ice off the front of your car because your scraper broke, and you're frustrated, you got to get to work on time, what, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. He's there for us, big or small problems. And, uh, and I love this verse too from Psalm 145. It says, "Our God is so generous that He opens His hand and He satisfies the desires of every living thing." Now, now that's kind of cool because it, there are a lot of places in Scripture where it talks about God providing like our daily bread, our daily needs. You know, and sometimes as Christians we talk about the fact that sometimes we can confuse our needs and our wants. You know, right before the Super Bowl, I said to my wife, "I need a new bigger TV." Right. That was really, she pointed out to me, more of a want than a need, right? I didn't get it, by the way. Um, but uh, but but I love this verse because it doesn't make that distinction. It doesn't talk about wants and needs, and, and God's going to take care of our daily needs, but don't ask him for too much. Literally, what it says is that God is there to satisfy the desires of every living thing. That That our God just lives to give. And of course... What's the greatest gift of all he gave? His son, right? God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. Jesus loved you so much that he gave his life. And scripture says this too, that, that not only does, does God give us his very life. By the way, if that was the only thing God gave you, would that be enough? It'd be amazing, wouldn't it? If the only thing that Jesus ever did for you is die on the cross to, to give you forgiveness and life, that would be enough. But he doesn't just give us that. He gives us so much more. The Bible says that God rains down blessings on the, on the good and the evil. We have a God who is incredibly generous. And, and he's, he's also generous with his hospitality, by the way, this is one of the hardest ones for me. Dave knows this. We've talked about this on our, on our leadership team. We talk about what's the, what's the hardest, you know, thing for you to be generous about. And for, for me, it's that hospitality one. I, I hate having people over to my house. I just, I'm just being honest, you know. It's like, I just want to get in my recliner and watch sports. Leave me alone, right? But, uh, but our God's not like that. Jesus is getting ready to go to Jerusalem where he's going to die on the cross. Um, and he says this to his disciples. He's been with them for three years. They've gone everywhere together. They've done everything together. He knows that they're going to be apart now. They're going to be separated for a while. And, and so he says this. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me wherever I am. I want you to think about that for a minute. The God of the universe deeply desires to be with you. Isn't that amazing? He's preparing a place for you. So we talk about those four kinds of generosity. Dave mentioned them before. We talk about time and service. Those are really kind of the same thing, having the time to be able to give to something or to someone to serve. Uh, We talked about this idea of emotional support, being there for people. Because our God is always there for us, like we said. We talked about material blessings, things like uh, giving of our, uh, not only just our time, but giving, actually giving of the finances that God has placed in our lives. And we talk about that hospitality being having our lives open to people so that, so that we can get to know people, so that we can bless people, so that we can be there for people. And, and today we're kind of asking you this question. We're asking you to think about where are you now when it comes to living a life of generosity and, and what's your next step? Before I ask you to think about that a little bit more, I want to tell you one more story. This, this story um, we find in Acts chapter 9 in the Bible. There was this guy named Saul or Paul. He, he goes by both of those names. And, uh, and he, was, he was dedicated to his God. He he had been raised in in the church, and and he had been raised to be a leader in the church, and he had worked hard to be that leader in the church for all of his life. And now here's what he believed. He believed that there had been this false teacher in the area around Jerusalem and Galilee by this name of Jesus, and that this, this false teacher Jesus was leading people away from the true religion. And so he had dedicated his time and his life to stamping out these followers of Jesus that were telling these lies about Jesus. They was actually on the way to a place called Damascus to deal with some of these people there, these people following what they called the way," and, and telling people that not only had Jesus given his life on the cross, but they were telling people this crazy thing that Jesus had risen from the dead, and Paul was convinced he had to shut that up. And then on the road to Damascus, do you know what happened? He saw Jesus. Jesus appeared to him, and he's like, "Hey, Saul, uh, what's the deal, man? Well he said, "Why are you persecuting me right <laughs> but i like what what's the deal man right and uh and, and Paul was stunned because think in that moment, the fact that Jesus was alive meant the disciples weren't lying when they said that he had risen from the dead and he actually had risen from the dead. And because he actually had risen from the dead, that meant everything else he said about himself, that he was the son of God who had come to pay the price for the sins of the world. It meant all that stuff was true. And so Paul is laying there in the dirt by the side of the road um, on his way to Damascus and all of a sudden now he realizes, oh my gosh, it's all true. Now, I want you to imagine for a second if Jesus had then said this to him. Now, Paul, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get up and go into Damascus. Uh, there you're going to meet a man named Ananias, and he's going to pray with you. Uh, then I want you to rest for a couple of days, and then I want you to start preaching there in Damascus. Now, the Jewish leaders there in Damascus are going to threaten to kill you, and, and so you're going to have to be snuck out of the city in a big basket through a hole in the wall, but that's okay. When, once you get out of there, then I want you to go to Jerusalem, and uh, when you're going to be there for a while, uh, then I want you to head to Caesarea, uh, back to your hometown of Tarsus, and I want you to study and learn there for a while. And then after a while I I want you to come back to Jerusalem, and I'm going to send you on three different missionary journeys to places like Berea, Thessalonica, Corinth, Ephesus, uh, Lycia, and more. Um, Along the way, the religious leaders are going to have you whipped five times. Three times you're going to get beaten by rods by the Romans. You're going to get stoned once. By the way, here in Illinois these days, that means something different than it did back then. (laughs) He says, you're going to be shipwrecked three times, and one of those times, you're going to spend a whole night and day adrift on the sea. You're going to be arrested and put in prison four times, and the last one of those times is going to be in Rome, and the only way you're getting out of prison there is they're going to cut your head off. Now, by the way, that's all true. That was the marathon that Paul was about to start running. But imagine if Jesus had just laid that all out for Paul right then in that moment. What do you think Paul would have done? I think I would have said, you know what? I'm just going to lay here by the side of the road, Jesus, okay? But that's not what Jesus did. Look at what Jesus says to him. He says, get up and go into the city, and I'll tell you what to do then. What's your next step? I I love this prayer. This is a very old historic prayer. It says this. Oh God, you've called your servants to ventures of which we cannot see the ending by paths yet untrodden through perils unknown. And listen to this. Give us faith to go out with good courage, not knowing where we go, but only that your hand is leading us and your love supporting us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Folks, following Jesus is a journey. It's an adventure, and, uh, and, and he, doesn't, he doesn't tell us where it ends. I mean, he does. It's with him in heaven, right? And we look like Jesus, but, but he doesn't tell us exactly what that path is going to look like. He just tells us, okay, figure out where you're at right now and take your next step. And so that's what I want to use just the last few minutes I have with you right now to get you to think about I want you to think about, where are you now, and what's your next step? Let's think, first of all, about your time. Do you you have margin in your life? You know what I mean by that? Like, do you have unplanned time for God to use when he needs you? If you're like a lot of us, you don't. So many of us, our lives are so scheduled. They are so full. And, uh, and we might actually, you know, see someone that needs some help or have an opportunity to sit and serve someone, to give our time to them. And, and yet, it's the pressure of our daily lives and our schedules. And, and, and we, we want to be generous, but we just don't feel like we can. I, I can tell you guys, I am so guilty of this. I can't tell you how many times, you know, I'll be sitting at my office and I'm working on something and somebody sticks their head in and they go, hey, do you have a minute? And way more times than I think is good, I say, you know, I really don't. I got to get this done. Or maybe here's another way for you to think about it. When you think about your to-do list, is it stuff to do or people to see? Probably a lot more stuff to do, right? Right. So when you think about your time, um, do you have that margin? And if not, what's one thing that you might be able to do? What's one step that you might be able to take to create some margin in your life, some time, so that when you're given the opportunity to be generous with that time, to to serve someone in need, that you've got the margin to do it? Or think about this. Uh, Do you have emotional capital? I love that term. Do you have emotional capital ready to spend? I don't know about you, but some days I feel like I wake up in the morning and, and you know, overnight I've kind of built up kind of this, oh, okay, all right, I can handle this. I can handle life. And by the end of the day, I'm just pulling my hair out and I'm like, I don't have, a, I'm done, right? And uh, and it seems like that's just the kind of a day after day after day after day occurrence. And yet, the problem with living like that is when there is somebody that needs our emotional support, that, that, that takes something, doesn't it? One, uh, one psychiatrist I talked to once described it this way. He says, kind of like you got this tank, right? And, and you might start the morning with the tank full, but, but if, if, you're, if you're spending that just to get through the day, by the end of the day, you're empty. I love the image in scripture that talks about how God fills us. And, and, if, and if we let God fill that emotional tank of ours, if we, if we let him uh, pour his love and his grace, that unconditional love and grace into our lives, we can get to that point where we, we do have, we've got an overflow to share with others. Or, or what about, where are you with your giving? And, and I want to talk just, you know, flat out about money right now. Um, When I first came to Trinity, I'll never forget this, I'd been there about two months, and one of the guys comes up to me and he goes, Pastor Mark, I I just want to tell you, I love your sermons. I was like, oh, cool, thanks, you know? And and then he kept talking, and I wish he hadn't. He said, because you never talk about money. And I was like, well, I've only been here two months, give me a chance, right? No, Jesus said this, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is. So in other words, Jesus connected our finances with our heart. And so think about that for a minute. If we as a church family never talked about finances, it would mean we're literally telling Jesus that whole connection between heart and finances isn't important, or we don't care where your heart is. We live in such a materialistic world, folks. So much of who we are and our identity is wrapped up in our stuff and in our money. So we got to talk about it. we got to talk about what it means to be people who are generous. And and Dave said it really well before. We make sure we don't talk about money when it's budget time. Because then it would give you the impression that the only reason we were doing this is because we want to try to make sure we can meet our church's budget. In fact, I say this all the time. I say, if tomorrow somebody wrote me a check to, to take care of the church budget for the next year, we would still talk about giving. Right? Now, by the way, if you want to write that check, see me after the service. <laughs> but, uh, but, but no, seriously, and, and here's, here's another way to think about this. I love this. I don't know. I wish I had written down who told me this first because I would want to give him credit because it's brilliant. When we talk about money as a church, it's not what we want from you. It's what we want for you. Because when we learn to be generous with our finances, God can do amazing things in our life. Now, Dave talked about this. We do use this thing called the generosity ladder to help you think about where you're at and what your next step is when it comes to giving. And and I don't mean just giving to Trinity. I mean just giving. Giving to whatever charity or ministry that is that God is calling you to support. The the first step is just to give something. Did you know that half the people that sit in church on a Sunday morning, studies tell us, uh, have never given a dime to, to church? About half. so And I think that's really important because I think sometimes people feel guilty when we start to talk about this. And like, well, I've never given. Well, you're not alone. In fact, you're, you're kind of almost the majority. And we take it very seriously, by the way, when someone does give for the first time and they let us know it. If you throw 10 bucks on the plate, we don't necessarily know you did that. But if you give online or give in a way that we can identify, we take that seriously because what you're saying is that a part of your heart is with this ministry, and that's huge. That's a huge step maybe you've already given, and, 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 and so the next step for you is, I'm going to give a little bit more. I'm going to do that more often. I'm not just going to do that once. I'm, I'm going I'm I'm to give more often. I'm going to start to think about how I can be more generous with my finances. Or maybe you're already doing that some. The next step is being intentional about it, thinking it through, saying, I'm going to give this much a month, or I'm going to give this certain percentage of what I give uh, to, to the opportunities that God gives me to make a difference with the finances that he has given me. Now. At some point, you may be willing to take or ready to take that step where you do what's called tithing. The Bible describes it as giving ten percent right off the top. Every once in a while, somebody will come to me and go, "Well, Pastor Mark, uh, is that ten percent before or after taxes?" <laughs> and I always go, "What do you think?" You know, I actually had somebody a couple of years ago say, "Now, now, my money for my retirement income." I really already tithed on that when I earned it, so do I need to tithe on it again when I start taking it? I'm like, what do you think? You know, just, That's not what this is about. I'm being generous. And, and finally, by the way, uh, the last step on the ladder is even above the tithe, even beyond the tithe. If you're tithing, maybe God is challenging you to say, I can do better. I can give more. Um, I have a really good friend. He, he's a pastor down in uh, in the Houston area, and he's huge. I mean, he's like 6'4", and he's he's. He's a big guy. And when he talks about this, um, he got this idea actually from our church. Um, and so he uses this ladder as well. Um, and he's got an actual physical ladder up in the front. And each, top, each step, he kind of goes up another step. And when he gets to the last step, he's at, literally standing on the top of the ladder. And everybody's like, you know. And this is what he says. And I think it's brilliant. He says, when you get to that step where you're giving extravagantly, he goes, it is really, really scary up there. But the view is amazing, and it is amazing to see when we are generous what God can do with that generosity in our lives. But again, the last area where God may be asking you to take a step is is in this area of just of hospitality. And and and, and hospitality, by the way, is more than just having people over to your house or your apartment or or, or whatever that is for you. Um, it's, it's it's opening up your life to people. And, and, and honestly, i I just, again, being totally real with you here. I think that's part of the reason that I struggle a little bit with, with having people over to my house, because it's like, here, here it is, man. You know that there's that mark on the wall that we made 15 years ago when we moved in with furniture and have never bothered to paint. You know, right? Uh, you can look around and see that vacuuming is not a regular occupation in our house. You, you kind of know, right? It's really kind of opening up your life and, and, and saying to people, I'm, I'm not just here to listen to you or to serve you or give you time. I'm here to open up my life and, and, and share my life with you, to, to, to be with you in a, in a, in a significant way that, that shows that I care. How open is your life or do you kind of hold that tight to the vest? Would the people around you say that you're an easy person to get to know? that your life's kind of an open book? Or would they say, well, you're nice, but I'm never quite sure where you're at. So here's my challenge you do this morning. Pick one of those and take a step. I challenge you to to give some thought and prayer today in the next couple of days to, to God, which one of those four areas of generosity am I really lacking in in my life right now? Or I'm struggling in my life right now? Pick one of those. Don't pick all four, because you probably won't do anything. Just pick one and take a step. I guarantee you, if you do that, God will bless it. God will help you take that step and then another and another until you are more like Jesus than you ever thought possible. Let's, let's pray. Lord, again, um, we thank you so much for this gift that you have given us, this gift of yourself. You have been so incredibly generous to us, and, uh, and we thank you for that, Lord. And uh, Lord, I pray that uh, for each and every one of us, first of all, you'd help us think about where we are, that, that we'd be honest with ourselves, that you would help us be honest with ourselves, to, to, to look in the mirror and really know when it comes to my time and my service of others, when it, when it comes to the emotional support I'm able to give others, when it comes to the finances that you've given me, and when it comes to um, the life that you've given me, am I willing to share? Am I willing to be generous? Lord, help me know where I can take a step to be more like you. In your name we pray, amen.